The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. Josie Dye is a Canadian radio and TV personality, currently the leading female host on CINDFM in Toronto on Indy 88. Now, before you go ahead and conclude, this was an easy first episode because Josie and I are colleagues at Indy 88 and former employees, of course, Entertainment and The Edge here in Toronto. There's definitely a reason that this podcast starts here. When I was growing up, I used to listen to you, you know, on this RCA boombox stereo that my parents had in the basement. I remember bringing it up to my room because I wanted to listen to you. You made me want to be on the radio. You gave me that first thought that I may want to do that. Shut up. Down the road. Shut up. You know what? <laughs> of everything you just said, all I took from that was when I was a young kid listening to you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, that's unbelievable. That's so sweet. Thank you so much for that because um, I've heard that from a few different women. And, and I think it's because, as I'm sure we'll get into in this podcast, you know, when I was on the radio uh, for a long time, I was the only female on my station. So if you were listening to CFNY, and you were listening to Middays, I was the girl, everybody else. Um, for the longest time, it was just guys. So I really appreciate that you that you listened and that you decided to take this career. What do you even remember thinking, like joining a team as one of the only females at that time? I went in there uh, with Kelly Cotrera was there at the time. And um, on air, that was about it. It was just Kelly and I. Um, but I had come from 99.9 and I had worked in an environment well, where there was a lot of males as well. And you know what? It's, it's interesting because I was such a huge fan of CFMY. But then when I got into radio, it was almost as if I, that, I, that was not the path I thought I was going to take. So when I got that job, uh, it was super exciting. Um, definitely intimidating would be the word that I would use. Uh, Bookie always Bookie and I always remember, used to remember that moment where I walked in the room with this like young girl, blonde hair from Pickering, Ontario, and I met Bookie and he was so cool, right? And he was just this, this image of everything I wanted. Like he knew all about indie rock and he just had so much confidence and people gravitated towards him. But what we, we realized later in, in our careers is that we were very similar. We were both just eccentric people. And so it just took a while for people to understand that, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't this, how can you put it as they like to label some women, just a normal blonde girl, right? Like they, they, as they use that word to describe a female. Um, and, uh, I, I found my place and it was a lot of fun working there. Who made you want to get into radio? Well, there's a lot of people. I, I've always said May Potts because she was also the midday girl that worked at CFNY. Isn't that hilarious how that's the way it works? It's yeah. the one girl who has that one position. Um, so yeah, I definitely used to listen to her and used to record myself over top of her between songs when I was at <laughs> home in my bedroom. I did it. I, I really still think I have those tapes. And one day when I get a tape deck, I need to go through them. Um, but my dad also gave me some really good advice and he was always like, you know, I really wanted to be a singer and I wanted to do something in music. And I come from a very musical family. And he said, um, if you want to be a singer, you'll be a singer, but you need a backup plan. So <laughs> broadcasting was kind of my backup plan. Thank God. Because singing didn't really work for me. I don't think anyone in this day and age would say pick broadcasting as a backup plan. So that's right? funny too. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, that was my backup plan. So, so what are those qualities uh, that May Potts had that you know, you were intrigued by. She was a female on the radio. 
she is such a lovely, a lovely woman. She had an incredible voice. She was knowledgeable. Um, she was interesting. And at the same time, she was fun. And, but I mean, really, as I, as I mentioned, she, she, she was the only female on the station that was on there. Thank God she was so brilliant and so good at her job that she became like a role model for me. But yes, I, there was not a lot of, of people to listen to at the time when I was listening. Would you say you have felt empowered for your entire career? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, I, I've had moments of empowerment for sure. And I've had people in my life who've empowered me. Um, and I've accomplished things that I'm so proud of. And I, I just wish that, you know, I could sing them from the rooftops of some of the things that I've accomplished. Um, but there were a lot of challenges. And there were a lot of times where I had to take a, take a different path to get to where I wanted to get to. And I think that I was able to do that because of my upbringing and because of my uh, the landscape of my family, which is probably very different from most people. Um, so I grew up in, in a family where my father was the stay-at-home dad and my mom was the worker. And um, she built an empire. And that takes, um, from both parties, that takes a lot of sacrifice in the time that um, you know, I guess in the eighties and the nineties, that took a lot of sacrifice because my dad, I'm sure his friends uh, sort of snickered at the idea that my mom was the breadwinner. Um, and he was, he used to brag about it, you know, to everyone. I remember him bragging, oh, my, the, the wife makes the money, you know, in the way that they, they talked about women back in the day. Um, so I came from a very non-traditional family and I, I had a businesswoman as a mom who, uh, gave me so much advice. And I don't think necessarily her advice is uh, is the right advice, but she gave me advice that worked for her. And she is, you know, in her mid seventies and is still running three businesses. My dad is on payroll as the handyman. And <laughs> he is. And it's, uh, I'm really impressed at the way I was raised because it's not the norm. It's very unusual to find a situation like my own. So those moments of empowerment that you did have throughout your career, what did they all have in common? What, what are the tools that you need to feel empowered in your job? Um, well, I think obviously confidence is a huge thing and it's hard to have confidence um, in such a competitive industry that we're in and such a personal industry that we're in because you know we, we basically throw our lives out on the radio every single day. So what we need is we need good management. And that's always been the case. It's, I think that, um, I think it's undervalued management, how important management is. I had an incredible manager, Ross Winters, who saw in me something I think that no other manager saw. I saw work ethic, but also saw talent. And he let me run. That's what he let me do. He let me do what I do. And if you let me do what I do, um, and this is something as women that it's really hard for us to brag about ourselves but it's something that needs to happen is I am an incredible employee. I'm just going to say that right there. I am an incredible employee. And I think anyone who has me as a, who, who is a management ask at Indy, I think I work hard. I'm a hard worker and it's, I love it. You know, I live and breathe for work. I don't know if that's what, what should happen, but I do. So when I'm empowered and when I'm given the tools to do what I, I want to do, I go and I, and I don't stop. So, um, in examples, the top 20 that I did, I wanted to have a syndicated show across Canada. And uh, I was told 
no one wants a syndicated show. Syndication is going, you know, this is <laughs> look this at is, it now. I know, right. <laughs> this is 10 years ago now. And, um, I, I made the show on my own with Adam Keskimetti, who helped me out in Terra de Giuseppe. And the three of us kind of really worked hard on it. And from there, Ross Winters allowed me to go and approach other, other managers, not just a chorus, but in other countries and in other companies. And I got this show on 13 radio stations and it felt so good. And people were begging to have the show on the air. And I think that's just Ross letting me do what I do, which was amazing. You just touched on confidence. Uh, so I want to bring this up and, and please know that what I'm about to say uh, means nothing now. I know you respect me now. We've got a great relationship now. Uh, but there was once a time where I sort of felt always like brushed off or, or like you didn't have the time of day for me. And I think back to what you just described was going on in your career, you know, being at the peak and the place where I was feeling really insecure. Um, I was hosting a drive show in a, a medium market, wondering if I would ever make it to the major market and there's so much competition. And I just think that this is a very common narrative um, in the brain of, of any woman in the media. Don't you think? Of course. And, and that's, that makes me feel so horrible because you know what? I don't remember that. So uh, you know me now, right? Like there's no way. I bring this up though, because I think we were both a product of our environments at that time. I'm laughing about it now. Like look at us now. I think we have, and I think that's a really good point. And I think that the work that needs to be done is on our part as well. It's not like, I think that this idea, this concept of women in radio, I think men look at it as, is this a, is this a bashing time for us to bash men? When in actual fact, it's not. We use these words amongst each other. We use bitchy towards each other. We use, um, we're catty, we're, you know, aggressive or bossy or uh, towards each other. And I think that a lot of that plays in the idea that it is so competitive because there used to only be a specific amount of jobs, right? There was only one or two females on a radio station. So it was, you know, do or die at the time. Now, that being said, um, like I have a lot of girlfriends in this industry and I love my relationships with the women in this industry. And I think we've got some really good ones. Mel is a perfect example. Mel and I were pit against each other so often. Actually, it was more probably like Fred and I, because it was always either Josie got something or Fred got something, right? As the two drive hosts. As the two drive hosts or the morning show, or it was, it was a really hard, it was very hard for us to manage a friendship throughout that because the environment that Chorus gave us was always like, it's you against them. They actually called it the Hunger Games. They said to us, I'm not kidding. They put us in a room and said, well, I'm glad the Hunger Games are over. And oh, look who, who came out on top. Like it was such a bad environment. And Mel is a perfect example because her and Fred were teamed up a lot. Um, we weren't best friends at Edge. We didn't hate each other, but we weren't best friends. Now you look at it as indie in a positive environment where we're beside each other. And I'm sitting here going, I can't wait to go back to work so I can hang out with Mel and have a drink with her. You yeah. know what I mean? Or we can just be together and it doesn't matter who's on top or who's in what position. Um, there, It's not like that anymore. And I think that stems from the environment you're put in. If, if you're put in an environment, a toxic environment where you're always competing for that one role, then it's, it's hard. Really, really hard. At that time, you know, I think I was being told the narrative 
you know, that we have both heard many times, oh, there's never going to be two females back-to-back shows sure. on the radio of station. Of course. And all of those things like, oh, you want to make it to the big market? Well, sh- you know, so-and-so is already there and so-and-so is already do- doing yeah, that, for sure. you know? But, you know, I think the positive environment that you're bringing up at Indy 88 and positive management and yeah. teamwork and, and all of that uh, plays into, I think, how much we have both evolved based on our environments over the for last sure. For years. sure. For sure. That's the thing, right? Now it's, um, I, I think it's also, it's, it is, you're right. It is confidence. It is, you could, we could each look at that situation completely different. And I don't remember the interaction with you, or we could look at it in a way and in, in a different side of how you're feeling, right? Which is a totally different story. When I think about that time now, I don't think for two seconds that you were like trying to give me the cold shoulder, but it was, I'm talking about that that confidence I didn't have yet at yeah, that yeah. time is what yeah. I was trying to um, to get at. Yeah. So talk to me about your current role at Indy 88. You are now the female lead on a morning show in a major market. And oh my God, it's I, so fun. You know, I don't want to say as like someone who's like come up underneath you in, in radio, I don't want to say I'm proud of you, but I'm so proud of what you have accomplished. It's great. You know, when when I first went over there, I didn't really... I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know um, what they would allow me to do and what they wouldn't allow me to do. You know, oftentimes you hear you have a morning show, but then it's like, well, what does that mean? And at Indie, they give you the freedom to do what you want. And they put me in a team. It's not my show. It's myself, Matt and Carlin. Like the three of us are a team and there's a respect there. And it's a, a wonderful, wonderful environment. And, um, you know, I think that, and I think that means everything. It gives you the the creative control. They did what Ross let me do is that they're allowing me to do what I want and run with it in a way of, you know, the sock drive um, and what we've accomplished with the sock drive and the millions of socks that we've been able to donate. And then um, music counts, the $90,000 that we were able to give music counts after Bookie passed. And just the way we were allowed to appreciate a broadcaster on the radio like Bookie um, after he passed and what they allowed us to do, they allowed us to go all day, just playing bookie music, you know, which <laughs> no, I don't think would, we would ever get away with that at any other station. And, yeah. and it's also the positive environment, you know, whereas I'm, I'm playing Fortnite right now with Brenton Carlin when we're not, you know, when we're not at work or, um, uh, I just text Mel and I was like, when are we having our walking dates? And I just go for a walk and she'll go for a walk and we'll call each other yeah. <laughs> on the phone. And then there's our, the two of us that have had a, you know, a really good relationship. I know you're not at Indy right now, but, um, you know, over the last couple of years. So it's really nice. It's a really nice environment. And I will say that when I joined the Indy team, I felt that warmth from you and Mel right away. And it's not that I didn't feel that warmth from you guys at the edge, but it was just a very different, it was a different playing field. Yeah. It was a different playing field. And listen, I don't want to say the edges that way now because I don't know what the edges now. And there's all new management, right? And, and the management at the time, I really do respect each person individually. I just think it was the environment that we were in, the competitive environment. Everyone is trying to fulfill a role of some sort. And I think we both respect all of our previous bosses for sure. Yeah. In their own ways. So I wanted to talk to you about maternity leave. And I know you've got, you know, your kids in the other room and you're not just dealing with any kids. You've, you have a special needs kid at home. And I do want to talk to you about your podcast um, before we get off here. But um, I wanted to talk to you about 
your decision to become a mother and how that affected, you know, your career. Did you have any reservations about becoming pregnant because of your role in the media? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't at all. And I think that's because of the, my family background, because I saw what my mom accomplished with two children and I knew I could do it. I knew that, um, I would be able to do what she did. And she did a lot with two kids at home. So I didn't have any reservations. I always wanted to have kids. It was just something I always wanted. And I don't, um, there are a lot of words that need to be adjusted, you know, like, um, uh, a working mom, you know, you never hear about working dads. So for me, uh, I had my, my mat leave and, uh, obviously the first time I had my child, I had a really sick child and, um, I went back to work quite early because the opportunity for a morning show came up. My child was in the hospital for four months and I was back at month six to come back to the edge. Um, and I came back and I did a morning show that did not work, which we can get into later if you want. Um, <laughs> lots to talk about with that. And then the second time I went on mat leave, uh, I decided I needed a longer mat leave. I at least give myself eight months only because I was dealing with a child who I had just got a diagnosis for, I think months before I, I became pregnant with my second. And so I had a lot on my plate and I knew that this time I needed the extra time. And everyone has a different way of looking at things, right? I mean, I think that it depends on who you are and what position you're in. I think a lot of this has to do with the failed morning show that I was in initially. I kind of need to tell the story in order to tell you how I felt. But I, I was in a morning show with... Uh, two other people, but one other main host. And at the time, I didn't think that that he related to our audience. I had been there for 15 years and I didn't think this morning show was going to work out. Because of that, I made an attempt to end it. Um, and I called the program director and I said, you know, I don't think, I knew I was going to either sync with this morning show or I was going to get off of it. So I said, I don't think this is going to work. and. Um, at the time I said that I was actually in the parking lot of K-Rock in LA because uh, I was ready to just leave. I didn't know how else to get out of the morning show. And my boss at the time, Dave Farrow, said, come on back. I agree. We're going to fix this. And what ended up happening is that morning show broke up. Uh, from then, Dave moved on and there were different bosses. But it seemed like once you have a failed morning show, it's almost like you have this scarlet A that's on you. Take out the sexualization of it. but you're the one who's being ostracized for something that you did wrong, but you're still living in that building that you're in. And everyone is kind of worried about the conversation they have with you. Meanwhile, the person who initially, I, uh, and this is my perspective, um, initially, you know, didn't uh, work out on the morning show was being given opportunities. It was a really hard time. And that's when I went on mat leave. <laughs> so... <laughs> I went on the second mat leave during that time after a failed morning show. Um, and I went for eight months and I came back to a one hour show on the radio. Now, Ross um, McLeod gave me the one hour show. And I truly, truly believe that Ross thought it was the best thing for me. I think he thought it was going to be an amazing, cool gig. Like we were going to make this put a press release out. And I think he thought this was going to be the most unbelievable thing. But for myself, it just was not what I wanted. 
It wasn't um, enough to wasn't fulfill. Enough. Yeah. And, and I am, if you know me, and I just don't think Ross and I knew each other very well at that time. I think he probably knows me a lot better now. But if you know me, I'm not the type of person to do a one hour show a day. I'm like, give me 12 hours of work and I'm satisfied and I'll do it really well. Give me one hour and I'll do a shit job. You know, like I need more. I need more. Um, and that was the moment I decided that I just, I can't, I can't stay and do this. And that's when Indy came for me. And and God, you know, for, I always thought I would live with that A on my shirt. I always thought I was tainted after one failed morning show. It's really hard. And Indy, who I didn't know anyone, I, I kind of knew who Mike was at the time, who works The music us, director, music yeah. Director. I kind of knew him through friends, but I didn't really know him. And um, I, Christina, who was the program director at the time, had worked with my former morning show host. And so kind of sort of understood where I was coming from a little bit, understood the situation. And I think they just saw something in me when I was on that morning show and they realized, I think I was not given a great deal. So that's when they came for me. Awesome. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep. Now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it but I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to organictraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. And you know what? Like, let's remember too that you were at your like career all time high, feeling very empowered right before everything unraveled with this morning show. And I think this speaks to a lot of the the roller coasters that women go through in the media because you might feel great one moment, but the next day it can change at a, a moment's notice. Yeah, and and whether that's women or men, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a woman. It's an thing. industry thing. It's an industry thing. It's it's a completely an industry th- thing. Um, and there's a lot of times when it, and it isn't a woman thing. There are sometimes when it is. Um, when I left Chorus, um, it was incredibly amicable when they thought I was staying. So there was like a push and pull, um, where there was some offers and I was gonna stay. Um, where they'd given me they all, all of a sudden the A was gone, you know, Indy wants me and they were like, okay, we'll give you everything you want. We'll give you a morning show. We'll give you TV. I was already doing TV, but we'll give you a better TV role. They were going to give me everything on a silver platter. It was unbelievable. It's like, how does it take another morning show or another station to come? And that's just the industry as well. That's nothing to do with a woman, but here's one thing I think that kind of hurt. Um, so I eventually said no. And I just eventually decided I'm not going to take the ex-boyfriend back. I'm going to move on. I'm going to find <laughs> someone new and Indy's going to be there. And it's really hard to do that because I had been there for 15 years with, the, with you know, I had put money into a pension and I, I was happy there. But 
I was going to leave. I was going to go to Indy. And they said before I left, my TV department said, they can't, your TV is secure. We have a separate contract. You're staying in TV. We love you in TV. I worked really hard in TV and I had, and two months after I left, they told me that my TV was gone. And I think that that is the part that hurt. I think that really hurts because there, I can count on my hand for men, Ross being one of them who I completely respect and no fault of his own either. He has, you know, radio and one network TV and another. And I think they played on my emotions a bit there. And I think they knew the guilt that I felt leaving chorus. You know, it wasn't a, it should have just been a business decision. It should have just been like, hey, I'm going because I am making a business decision. But instead, I think there was a sense of, I felt guilty for leaving them. Like I felt really bad that I hurt their feelings. So when they took away my TV, I didn't fight. I didn't fight for what I should have fought for. I should have fought for that. Like I had worked eight years on my own television show, kind of like uh, one of their faces for W Network. And I'd worked really hard. And then all of a sudden, because I left Edge to go to a competitor, they took my TV away. Now, a lot of people will say that's the industry, but then you have to, you can't just say do that for one person and not do it for everybody else. It's not the same across the board. Yeah. It's not the same across the board. So there are four other men that are doing both radio and television in other networks, including Kiss, which I love Roz and good for him for keeping it. I should keep mine too. But at the <laughs> time, Kiss was more of a competitor to Edge than Indy was. We were the lo- little guys. We weren't at the time. Absolutely. We yes. Guys, right? Yeah. So I think there's some, um, and I think that's my fault. I let, I, I felt bad for them. I didn't take my mom's advice. This is business. And my mom's advice, and this is going to be, Sarah, kind of going back um, my mom is not an emotional person. I'm not an emotional person. And my mom always says, you have friends in your friend world, and then you have a business and you have to run that business and you have to play the way the guys play. And she's always said that to me, always. So there's a little bit of cutthroat there. She's like, if you don't get what you want, you find a way to get it in another way. You figure out a path to do it and you do it. Um, so I think I let my emotions take over during the exit at Chorus. And I think that I feel really bad about that. You basically ended up putting your hands in the air and saying fine and just walking away. I didn't even fight it. I just said fine. After eight years of television, just take it away. I left to go to Indy, just take it. And uh, I probably should have fought that harder knowing my TV department loved me and wanted to keep me. And wanted to support you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your your career goals evolve, right? And after becoming a syndicated radio host, it's like, what's next? What's my next step? And what what... What do I feel passionate about? What do I want to do? So where does that leave you now? You're in an empowered place at Indy 88 and you're hosting this morning show where you actually feel like you're part of a team that operates properly. Yeah. Um, What about TV now? Oh, I mean, I will get there. I will get there. Uh, It's a hard market right now with COVID, (laughs) but I will get there. Um, I was also thinking I was going to open up a sex club and I was going to have... um, like just make a ton of money off everyone's just need to uh, party after COVID. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm like the PGS girl in the world, but my friend and I were going to open like this crit. No, I'm joking. Okay. A little <laughs> bit of a joke there, but um, I don't know what's next. There's so much opportunity when COVID is over that I'm excited. I'm excited to do some really fun things. And um, the party angle is not necessarily off the table. I want to do something fun. I'm sure everyone feels the same way. You know what? Let me quickly ask you about this too. So, yeah. you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, uh, this is not just in, in our industry, but with 
women in any industry right now, I think that they often uh, end up being the person to be in direct contact with, uh, you know, teachers and helping support the kids with school stuff during the day and all of that. How has that been for you, you know, during a pandemic, but also trying to still get up at the same time and do everything when you're at home? I've had to go to my mom's house to broadcast because my parents are living up north right now um, because I can't do it at home with children, with kids. I don't know if I've told you that I started a pod. So because my child is immune compromised, um, him and four other kids are are doing school in my basement. So we hired a teacher. And um, he, because he needs socialization, he couldn't just do strict virtual. So I ha- we hired a teacher and three neighbors and my two boys are in the basement learning. That's fun. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like you, you know, you figured it out though. You pivoted. We figured it away, right? That's it. We figured out a way and to keep them safe and they all wear masks and we have, they have a little desks that we made and you just, you know, that's, that's, I think that. You just got to figure it out. You just, there's, there's always a way. You just don't take one route. There's a million routes you can take. As someone who's had such a ginormous um, presence on social media over the last 10 years, I will say, you know, looking at you from a distance on, on social media, if I take a step back, even though I know your story with your special needs kid, I don't feel like you have been talking about what, what's gone on with Cole the entire way. I feel like it's become more a part of your story uh, publicly in the last few years than, than it has before. And I'm sure that comes with, you know, these, the struggles that you went through while you were figuring everything out and during diagnosis, what has made you want to share that story a little more now? Um, two things. I think that my child is old enough now to understand what's happening to him. Like I, I, I think that he gets it. And I think that I felt my mom used to tell me when he was young, don't forget when he's 17, he's going to listen back to this stuff. Is he okay with you talking about it? And I felt that was his story. And I felt like he, um, there was, there was, a, you know, it was private. Also, I think we were in a, a little denial. I mean, we've, both of us have talked about this, Joel and I, um, for years, there was denial there. You get a diagnosis, but you don't really know what it's going to look like. And you don't know how it's going to go. We were also in the thick of it. Like our, it's been hard. Like it, it, I finally feel during COVID has been, it's funny. We have to keep him so safe, but he's been so healthy this year because he hasn't been around, you know, a classroom of kids. And up until this year, we didn't have time to do anything else. Like we basically lived in and out of sick kids. We constantly lived out in and out of there. And, um, it was really hard. So I think we finally have seen like we've been able to breathe a little bit this year, which has been nice. And we also see the silver lining in it all. So, you know, I don't think the the outcome isn't going to be as grave as we thought it was going to be. I think he's he's pretty high functioning right now. So, yeah. Tell me about um, the podcast, Love and Special Needs, and the story that you're now sharing with parents who may be in a similar situation. I knew I had a lot tell people, especially other parents who are going through what we went through. I have a lot to talk about. I know that I'm able to do it as a broadcaster. We forget it's not just the medium of radio. We're storytellers. Um, So there was nothing like that out. We have a Facebook group with people around the world. And I honestly, every week a mom comes on there or a dad comes on there in tears because they can't cope. And they're just, they just don't know what to do. And you've been there. Yeah, I've been there. And I've talked to doctors now that say that, you know, um, 
shaking baby syndrome has been a huge issue with children with Soto syndrome because mm. it's, it's really, it's exhausting. They cry nonstop. Like it's really hard to get your child to stop crying. So I felt like if I was going to talk about anything, I know so much about this. I know so much about medicine. Um, and, and it only, you know, I am Dr. Google. I am not a trained, a trained doctor. My mom is in the healthcare field and she's, that's what her businesses are in healthcare. Uh, so I do have that, that help. So I thought, why not make a podcast? And I can't believe how it's only been a, a month. I don't know what I'm doing, but, <laughs> and I don't, you're giving me advice because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but um, already, you know, I've had a thousand downloads on my first episode and it's- Oh my gosh, that's yeah, amazing. It's really nice. And there's, and I'm getting emails daily from people from Brazil and the UK and Australia, and not just parents who have children with Soto syndrome, but parents who have children with special needs, because what people forget is my mine's symptom-based, well, Cole's is symptom-based. So a lot of times with any sort of rare disease, um, the symptoms end up being the same. So it ends up being hyptonia or, or um, you know, choking issues or reflux or spine issues. So we can all kind of relate to those same things. And that's mm-hmm. why I thought I'd start the podcast. And you know what, on that note, this brings me to sort of where I wanted to wrap this up. And I've sort of alluded to it uh, as we've been talking, but you know, I think there was a time, if I may assume, that earlier in both of our careers, we were kind of just concerned with the climb and um, that cutthroat environment maybe gave us um, a sense that we needed the most followers, the most popularity, sure. the most likes, all of those things. And what I see now in your profile as a broadcaster is you are most concerned with being relatable and giving back. And I think it speaks volumes of the journey that you've had in media. Yeah, it's true. And that's a really good thing to say because um, the pressure is off a little bit. It doesn't mean that I won't be fired next week because I, I work in a morning show. So I know I know the struggles that you have when you work in a morning show, but I'm also confident in my talent now. I'm confident as a person. I have more depth. And I think that's another thing that people forget is that when you're on the radio, you have to be able to have life experiences, right? You have to be able to talk about your life and other people's life and be vulnerable. And uh, once you get that confidence and once you've, once you've been in the industry for long enough, you know, you can do that and you can help others. So that's, um, that's been a goal of mine for sure. You've always been a great storyteller, but now you're killing it at telling your own story. I really respect everything you do. And uh, I'm so happy that you were one of my first guests. And I look at what we both do now uh, every week and I'm amazed at both of us. So thank you so much, Sarah. And you as well. This is going to be such a cool podcast. I'm so excited to listen to everyone's stories and, and to, you know, learn. So it'll be really cool. And as a pass off, can you name uh, three women that you immensely respect um, in broadcasting whose stories you think need to be told? Julie Adam, for sure. I mean, she's somebody that I constantly watch and watches what's happened to her and how she has persevered. Um, unbelievable story. Uh, that's definitely number one. Um, I think Mel, <laughs> I'm going to say, only because our stories have been so intertwined, right? The two yes. of us have been put against each other so often. And she's gone through similar things. You know, she... She also got pregnant and, um, and has then, her own story to tell there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is some, some stories. She is such a great person to have on, uh, if you could have on her on the show. 
Um, and just specifically in media. So I have a friend, Cynthia Lois, who is in, on the social. Um, just an unbelievable woman. Uh, every day she sends me not just material, but show prep. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best. Like who gives, she hands me show prep every day. Like that's the kind of woman she is, right? Where yeah. she's like, Josie, do you need help for your show today? Oh, let me just send you some show prep. I love her. <laughs> um, and you know, she's also had a big struggle. Just the idea of working with four women together. It's funny because we've, as we've said earlier, we've always been put against each other. Now put four women together and to try to make it work. And it does work. That's really hard to do, but they do it and they do it every single day and they argue every single day. And I love, I love women and men, women who can argue with each other. And then the next day it's fine. And I've had a few women like that in my life. One being Kim Rossi. I should really give a shout out to Kim and I did not see eye to eye on anything when we worked together. We were the complete opposites. And yet we one day figured out how to make, how to work together and then became friends. So I think the women who can understand that there's a lot of women out there that are different than you, but it just takes that moment to understand where they're coming from, appreciate their circumstance and then move on and move on together. Cause we all need to be friends because if we don't, we are going to let the men take over. So yeah, that's, that's a huge thing. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given in this industry? And it doesn't matter if it's from a man or a woman. It was from a man, JJ Johnson. Um, he said, you had to be ready for luck. And I love that because it's true. It's, you know, everyone's like, oh, they're so lucky. They got this gig or they're so lucky they were able to be at that right place at the right time. But people forget, you also have to be prepared for that job. So right now, before you even have the opportunity of getting that job, make sure you're prepared. And that's what I did when I did my top 20. I had just messed up Oh Canada in front of 35,000 people. And the Canadian world was looking at, I say the world. I remember oh, that. Americans. Uh, yeah, Canada was looking at me at the time, um, making fun <laughs> of me on social media. And I was ready with a show in my back pocket. And because every province knew and was talking about me, it was a perfect opportunity for me to give them my top 20. And it worked. So I used a horrible situation and I made it wonderful, but I also was ready for luck. That me messing up O Canada was one of the luckiest things, things that ever happened to me. And as soon as I messed it up, the Tuesday after, it was a Sunday night, the Tuesday after I got FM 96 on board. And then from there, I worked on power and I went all through Canada uh, calling PDs and I was in the news. So they knew who I was. So it worked. Okay. We're going to end things on this note. Thank you so much for being one of my first guests and sharing your story. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.